Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. This morning, Liam is preaching to us on healing. And uh, we thought it'd be great to talk to someone who has experienced healing um, through the prayer team or being prayed for for healing. So please do join me in welcoming Chloe Wang to come and speak to us as she shares her story. Good morning, Chloe. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> this will get better. Um, so, Chloe, please tell us um, uh, wh- what happened that you received by what was happening. Um, so, basically, it was about more than two years ago, I think. Um, and I had pain in my left knee, and I've been seeing physio for quite a while. Um, and one day, on a Sunday morning, I was unwelcome, and I basically had a lot of pain in my knee, and I was limping into the church. And then what happened next? Um, <laughs> and then Elisa saw me. I don't know whether you remember Elisa Day. Um, she was on um, the prayer team that day. And she saw me and asked me what happened. So I told her about this pain. And she offered to pray for me. Um, so she did. And um, she asked whether she can put her hand on my knee. Um, and I said, yes. Um, so the next thing I felt was um, a really strong warmth. Um, that's That was circling around my knee. But I wasn't... Um, I thought it was just her hand, um, and it felt really, really nice. <laughs> so, so when she prayed for you and you felt that warmth, um, did you think, oh, I'm being healed, or did you think, oh, that's nice, what happened next? Um, yeah, it felt really, really nice, um, and afterwards she um, said, um, would you like to go walk a few steps? And with all the surprise um, that I was healed, and I was jumping, Hopping and running around in church <laughs> without any pain. <laughs> Amen. So, um, what do you think? Like, how did that change how you thought about uh, prayer and being prayed for healing? Well, this question was on a list. <laughs> um, so, actually, to, to be very honest, um, I wasn't. I was a little bit skeptical before she offered to pray for healing. Um, I never had experience with healing before. Um, so that actually have changed my view or attitude towards prayer for healing because I want to trust that Jesus can do everything. And he's, he's so powerful and so almighty that he will heal us because the pain never came back either. So there you go. Brilliant. Thank you, Chloe. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Great. Um, a couple of months ago, I went to pick up my daughter from the Childminder. Um, she is uh, three years old. Actually, she was two at the time, about to turn three. When I got there, I knocked on the door. The Childminder's assistant opened the door and said, Jessie was the cutest today. And I was like, yeah, of course, like father, like daughter. Like, <laughs> what's, what's new? And um, I said, well, why particularly today? And they said that the Childminder's husband had uh, gone down with appendicitis and had to be rushed uh, into the hospital. He was in absolute agony. And they'd explained this to the children. And my daughter, Jessie, Uh, her response was to wander over to him, put her hand on him, and pray that Jesus would make him not poorly anymore. (laughs) She then turned to the adults and said, your turn. (laughs) Which, like, to my knowledge, none of them believe in God, but they gave it a go. And when I asked her about this, she said, they did it wrong. They didn't say in Jesus' name. (laughs) Wow, that is amazing. Now, when I heard that, three questions came to mind. One, how young is too young to join the prayer team? Two, do they even make lanyards that short? I don't know. And three, would I have done that? 
Would I have had the courage to do what my three-year-old daughter did? Would I have just said, oh, that's sad, I hope you get better soon? Or would I have reached out and offered to pray? And my fourth question is, what would you have done? We are in the middle of a series entitled Faithful Presence, Living Like Jesus in a Broken World. And it seems to me that when you read the Gospels, one of the things that Jesus did again and again and again was confront the brokenness he saw in the world by healing the sick, by raising the dead, and by setting people free from things that oppress them. And when I read the stories of Jesus healing people, to be honest, they don't surprise me. Like they amaze me, but they don't surprise me because they're exactly the kind of thing I would expect God to do when he walked the face of the earth. When I read the stories about Jesus healing, they're not surprising. What surprises me is when Jesus goes and says something like this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they'll do even greater things than these. What surprises me is not the idea that Jesus heals, I take that for granted. I know that that's the kind of stuff I would expect God to do. What surprises me is that he asks us to be a faithful presence, living like him, doing the same things he did. And this promise in John 14 is a promise for everyone. He says, whoever believes in me, you don't have to have been a Christian for 30 years or have a theology degree or be a member of the prayer team or wear a yellow lanyard. There's no power in the lanyards. Like, like this is for anyone who believes in Jesus. We are to be a faithful presence who live like Jesus, confronting the brokenness in the world by asking him to intervene and heal. And so today, I want to speak on this subject of healing. And I imagine that this is the kind of subject that for some of you, you're like, I'm excited about this. And others of you, maybe it's actually a painful subject. And probably for most of us, certainly is for me, it's a mixture of the two. Great excitement and also pain and doubts and questions and concerns. And I guess most of us, if we're honest, experience some kind of cognitive dissonance with this area because we look at the stories of Jesus and we hear him say things like, you'll do the same things, even greater things. And I look at my own life and I think, eh. <laughs> like, the gap between me and Jesus is huge. And that can raise all kinds of questions, concerns, doubts for us, particularly if it's a painful subject. So I wish that I had four hours to talk to you today. I'm sure you don't wish that, but I do at least, because I feel like there's so much I'd love to explore. And so my request as we begin is this, particularly if this is a painful subject for you today, firstly, would you just Go easy on me and trust that I can't cover everything. And if I don't adequately deal with the questions that are causing you pain right now, know that it's not because I'm indifferent to your pain. I feel much of the same pain you do. It's just that I don't have time. I love you, God loves you, and I'd happily talk further about your questions. But secondly, my request to all of us is this. As we talk about a subject like this today, don't allow yourself to lower your expectations to the level of your experience. Rather, as we look at what Jesus says about healing today, would you dare to trust in him and see what he does as a result? We're going to look at the subject of healing, and at the end, I'm going to have an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity for anyone who would like to, to receive healing, and anyone who would like to pray, to pray for healing as well. And my hope is that we'll all get involved to some degree. But let's look at the subject of healing. How did Jesus live in a broken world? Well, Jesus spent an enormous amount of his time and his life and his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. It's all the way through there. It's the focus of his parables, his teaching, his ethics. He spoke about the kingdom all the time. But it wasn't just something he talked about. It was something he showed as well. He demonstrated it all the time, particularly through signs and wonders. In Matthew 12 and Luke 11, Jesus healed a whole load of people who were sick. And he said, if I do this, the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
It wasn't just something he talked about. You experience it through healing. In Matthew 10, Jesus sent out his disciples and said, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus commissioned his disciples to do the very same things he did, which is to go out with a message of the kingdom that you proclaim with your words and then demonstrate with the corresponding actions. Talk about it and show it by healing the sick. Healing demonstrates the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom? Well, if I were to try and summarize it really succinctly, I would say the kingdom is life under the rule and reign of God. Life as it is meant to be when God is in charge. And if we had time, we could go all the way through Scripture and show how this theme runs all the way through up to Jesus. Let me just do it really quickly with some geeky diagrams, which will kind of work on this sort of yellow-tinged screen, <laughs> jaundiced screen, I don't know why, but there we go. The Bible begins with the Garden of Eden. And this picture of creation is this poetic account of God's created world where everything is perfect under his rule and reign. In a sense, Eden is the perfect picture of the kingdom of God. God is in charge and there are no other powers standing against him. There is what the Hebrew word uh, shalom is, uh, sort of unpacks this idea of wholeness, of fullness, of everything working as it's meant to be. There's no sickness, no suffering, no pain, no death. Human life flourishes in this kingdom. But then from Genesis 3 onwards, Essentially, mankind rejected the kingdom, the rule of God, and decided that basically we want to do it our own way. It's like we erected our own kingdom. And from Genesis 3 onwards, right to this present day, it's been more like the next slide. We have lived with the kingdom of this world where we experience pain, sickness, and death. It's like the unraveling of all of God's good creation as we rejected him as our king and established our own kingdom. And the whole of the Bible uh, is, is set during this time, this kind of now period where the kingdom of the world is at force. But it also speaks about the fact that the kingdom of God has not been utterly defeated. It is still there and one day will come in full. The Bible looks forward to the day when the kingdom of God, the perfect rule and reign of God will come back and be uncontested, undefeated, and then everything will be put right. Revelation 21 talks about the old order, the kingdom of this world passing away and there being a new order where there's no sickness, no sin, no suffering or death. Revelation 11 says that then it will be declared the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. This is the picture of where things are heading. Now, when Jesus started proclaiming the kingdom is here, this was good news because it told people that God had not given up on his plan to care for people and bring them to flourishing. Rather, something of that future order was breaking into the here and now. The kingdom is both now and not yet. It is now in the sense that it's something we can experience. And Jesus said the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come upon you, particularly when they experienced it through healing. And yet there is also a not yet element to the kingdom because we are not yet in the new creation. We will one day experience it in full when the kingdom of this world will become fully the kingdom of God. But right now, healing is the ultimate clash of kingdoms. Because it's like something of the not yet breaks into people's bodies and people's daily experience when they experience something of what God intends to do for all creation, puncturing the here and now. 
And when Jesus healed the sick, and when he asks us to heal the sick, what he's doing is essentially saying, you are to embody the overlap of these spheres. You are to be the point at which the kingdom that is not yet breaks into the kingdom of this world, the now. And when this happens, it demonstrates something of the power of God over the other powers of this world and his love for all mankind. Now, as an aside, when I talk about healing here, I'm primarily talking about physical healing because that's often what we see in the Gospels. But actually, Jesus wasn't just concerned with our physicality. He wanted to bring healing and wholeness, shalom to every part of us. Actually, Jesus regularly talks about salvation. And when we hear that word, we tend to think of salvation as being to do with our souls. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. The Greek word sozo, it actually means wholeness and fullness for every part of us. Salvation for our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our spirit. All of us experiencing the rescue of God. The kingdom brings wholeness to every level. And Jesus demonstrated this kingdom powerfully. He regularly healed everyone who came to him. There are countless passages. Just read through. I mean, here's just a few, and then I got bored of typing them out. Like, there are so many accounts where Jesus, it says, people came to him, maybe twos or threes or a whole village, hundreds, thousands, and he lay hands on every one of them, which is exhausting. Like, I pray for six people. I'm like, I'm done. Jesus did it for a whole village at a time. And he healed everyone who came to him. There is not one account in the Gospels of anyone coming to Jesus who got sent away unhealed. He was able to and willing to heal everyone who came to him. He never sent anyone away unhealed because he is the perfect embodiment of the kingdom of God. He is the king himself. And when he returns, his kingdom will be full, complete, and uncontested. But now you and I live, as it were, in the overlap. And the question is really, how big is that overlap? And actually, Maybe I've been a bit sceptical. Maybe it should be way more overlap than that. I don't know. My certain hope is that it becomes more overlap. We live in this sort of middle ground. We live in this world where we experience sickness and suffering and pain and ultimately death. There is brokenness in this world. And yet, there are also moments of beauty when something of the world to come breaks in. When people experience answers to prayer, whether that be for healing or, or anything, really. When the kingdom that is not yet breaks into the kingdom of this world, we experience something of what God is going to do for all creation. And so how do we live as a faithful presence, living like Jesus in this broken world? Well, we may not experience as full uh, an experience of healing as Jesus did. We may not see as many people healed as Jesus did. I wish I did. I dearly wish I did. But what he calls us to do is to pray and embody the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, in my life as in heaven, in my neighborhoods as in heaven, in my workplace as in heaven. More of the not yet breaking into the here and now. Our task is to confront the brokenness of the world by praying that the not yet will break into the now. And this middle ground, this overlap area, is a painful place to live. But every time we experience answer to prayer, it reminds us that God is able to heal, he is willing to heal, and one day he will heal in full. And every time we experience prayer go unanswered in the way we would like, it reminds us that we're not yet in the new creation. But that doesn't change the fact that God is able to heal, he is willing to heal, and one day he will heal in full. 
My task until that day comes is to keep praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, and see how he answers that prayer. And that, as I've said, is a painful place to live. I know. And I don't want you to think because I'm like going fast today or I'm trying to speak confidently that I have this all nailed down. I live with the pain of this. Over the last eight months, I have prayed for more people than I have the last eight years of my life. 51, in case you're wondering. I've listed everyone because I want to grow in this. And as a result, I have seen more people healed in the last eight months than I have in the rest of my life. But I've also seen plenty of people not healed. And so I live with the pain and disappointment and excitement of being in the now and the not yet. I don't know why I have literally prayed for my wife thousands of times to be healed from chronic fatigue. And we've seen various answers to that prayer, but not the fullness that I am longing for. And I think we would see if Jesus were here in this room instead of me. I don't know why that is the case. And yet I've also laid hands on people with torn ligaments and for 30 seconds their shoulders just been completely healed. I don't know why God answers those prayers and sometimes not those prayers. All I know is it's my task to keep praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. I don't have answers to all the questions I have. I suspect those answers are above my pay grade. I don't think Dave has them either, so it's probably <laughs> above that pay grade as well. But like... It's not to get into a conversation about our salary, salary structure, to be clear. But, uh, my task is to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's the king. He's the one who establishes his kingdom. I really felt God speak to me about this back at the beginning of this series. Uh, I remember one Sunday in September, I was here and I prayed for a couple of people uh, for healing. And I just hadn't seen any breakthrough and I was really frustrated. And I went away just being like, come on, God, why not? I'm trying to trust your word. Why are you not healing people? And I went to the afternoon service and I was sitting there at Covent Garden. And during worship, I was just praying about this and I was feeling really disappointed. And I just said, Lord, this is painful and it's difficult. I'm going to keep doing it, but just not today. I'm, I'm done today. I'm not going to pray for anyone else today. It's just too hard to live with that disappointment. And then Jo got up and she preached, and she preached on Daniel chapter 3. And it's the story when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being threatened of being thrown into the fiery furnace if they didn't bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And their response was this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you set up. And when I heard her read that, she hadn't even preached at that point. It was a great sermon, but even she hadn't even got there yet. I just immediately knew, oh man, I found it so tempting to bow down to the idol, the structure, as it were, of cynicism or doubt or desire for a comfortable life. Whereas God calls us to say, I believe he is able to heal. I believe he will heal. But even if he does not, my task is to pray, your kingdom come. And that's what I want to encourage us to do as we live in that overlap. Have that confidence. He will heal. We know it will happen when he comes back. And I assume he wants to do it now as well. He is able to heal. And even if he doesn't, I'm still going to pray your kingdom come. So what does this look like in practice? Well, there's loads that I would love to say, but I just want to pull out three facets of Jesus' healing ministry, which I think are worth us dwelling on today. And the first is this, compassion. Jesus was motivated by deep compassion for people. I know this probably sounds obvious, but, but he regularly healed people, not because they were projects to be dealt with, but because he loved them. 
And there are plenty of examples of this. Matthew 20, healing the blind men. He had compassion for them. Luke 7, he saw a widow who'd lost her only son. It says his heart went out to her. And there are many other examples. It regularly says he has compassion or he loved or his heart went out or he had mercy on people. Jesus was motivated by compassion and love for people. It may sound obvious to you, but I think it's really important. Because when we think of healing as being a sign of the kingdom, it's easy to assume that the reason Jesus healed people was to prove who he was, as if it was all about his, his self-declaration. Uh, now, healing does prove who Jesus is, but that's not the reason why he does it. He does it because he loves people, and he wants to show the heart of God to people. In fact, there are some times where Jesus healed people and said, don't go and tell anyone about this, which I would not do if the point of healing was to make everyone think better of me. Jesus cares more about the individual than he does about his own reputation. He is motivated by compassion. Healing demonstrates the heart of God for every part of us. And Jesus never treated a sick person callously. He never used a person as a means to his own ends. He never cast them aside. He never saw them as a nuisance. He never got frustrated that they came to him for healing. He was grieved by people's suffering and his compassion motivated him to heal them. It's also worth noting that Jesus never told a sick person that their ailment was a gift or a blessing from God. I want you to hear me really carefully. Jesus never told anyone that they were sick because God wanted it for them or had given them that sickness as a gift or a blessing. Jesus consistently saw sickness as an intrusion in God's perfect world, an enemy to be resisted, never a friend to be embraced. Now, listen carefully because I've got one minute to make this point and I want you to hear it and not hear what I'm not saying. If you are sick, I don't believe that that is God's good plan and a gift to you. I don't believe he wants you to be sick or he delights in making you sick. I don't think you can get there from scripture. God does not delight in your suffering. He is grieved by it. Sickness does not glorify God. The way we react when we go through sickness can glorify God. But they're two different things. God can use your sickness for his glory and your good, but it is not a good gift to be embraced. It's an enemy to be resisted. And if you are going through suffering, and you are trusting in God, remaining faithful to him through it, you are glorifying God in your sickness, and he delights in you, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, and so do I. But God does not delight in your sickness. He delights in you. He loves you. Sickness and death are an intrusion into God's world. They are not a friend to be embraced, but an enemy to be resisted. And Jesus saw sickness consistently as part of a, a facet of the broken world that was not there in the beginning and will not be there at the end. And so he made it his life's mission to confront that brokenness with his words and with his power. And I don't believe Jesus is any less compassionate towards those who suffer today than he was when he walked the face of the earth. John 11, I wish I had more time to look at this, but it's a beautiful passage that shows us, I think, God's heart for healing and for the sick. 
is the story of Lazarus, where Jesus arrives at his friend's house and he sees this man who has died and he is deeply moved by it because he sees the suffering it has caused his friends. And of course, he is one of his friends as well. It says in John eleven thirty three, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, except it doesn't because that is the worst translation of any verse in the Bible ever. In fact, even commentators who don't believe in healing today will say that is a pathetic translation because the Greek word actually means he snorted with anger. It's the word that was used for a war horse that is preparing to go into battle. I'm not going to try and emulate it, but like Jesus is angry when he sees this death. Why? Because he sees it as an enemy that has broken into God's world and he is preparing to do battle with it. Jesus is angry. And yet then, verse 35, what does it say? He wept. He is angry. He snorts with this anger at death and at sickness, but then he weeps for those who are suffering. And those two things together show us the heart of God. Towards sickness and death, he is angry because these things are an intrusion into God's perfect world. But towards the sick and suffering, he feels no anger, only love, only compassion. He weeps. And from that place of compassion, Jesus raised Lazarus to life. I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons I don't see as many people healed as Jesus did is simply that I just don't love as deeply as Jesus did. I don't wonder that. I know that's the case. If we want to heal like Jesus healed, we need to feel like Jesus felt. (laughs) Felt. That doesn't rhyme. (laughs) Like We need to have that same attitude towards sin and sickness and towards those who are suffering. We need to feel like we're at war with this, but deeply compassionate towards people who are hurt. We need to cultivate compassion as he did. Jesus' compassion motivated him to heal the sick. And if we try and pray for the sick out of any other motivation, we will end up abusing people or seeing them as a nuisance or a project to be solved or a challenge to be overcome. Jesus saw the sick as people who deeply needed to experience the love of God. And we need to see them the same. So the first point is that Jesus was motivated by compassion. But compassion alone is not enough to change someone's situation. I could feel deep love towards you and be utterly powerless to turn it around. Compassion needs to be coupled with two other things. And when you read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, I would say that the two things that are most prominent in bringing about healing are the presence of power and the presence of faith. The power of God and the presence of faith. A number of stories in the Gospels regularly emphasize the role of power in Jesus' healing. There's the story in in Mark 5 and Luke 8 of the lady who comes up to Jesus in the crowd. She's been bleeding for years. She reaches out. She touches his cloak in faith. And we'll come to that faith thing in a minute. And she is instantly healed from this long-term affliction. And Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Luke 5, it says the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Luke 6, it says that people were all trying to touch him. Why? Because power was coming out from him and healing them all. I kind of, I don't know. In my mind, that's a weird picture. But but power is involved. Power is always involved in healing. Jesus not only had compassion, but he had power to turn around people's situations as well. And you might hear that and think, well, that's great, but he was God and I'm not. And you would be right. But where do you think Jesus got that power from? I would put it to you that Jesus did not have power to heal the sick because he was God, but because he had the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts 10 makes that really clear. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That is an utterly absurd verse. Why would God need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit? 
I think the answer is because Jesus wanted to show that he didn't heal because he was God. He healed because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Philippians 2 says, when Jesus took on flesh, he lay aside some of the privileges associated to divinity. He didn't cease to be God. I preached on this in the summer, so like, go back and listen to that if that's a tricky passage for you. But he lay aside some of his divine privileges so that he would live like us, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit so he could do these things. It is the very same Holy Spirit that fills you and me. There is no like secondary tier of Holy Spirit, like a 30-day trial with limited benefits. Like we have the same Holy Spirit that motivated Jesus to heal dwelling within us. That is why Jesus could say, you can do the same things as me. At Pentecost, Jesus said, you will receive what? Power. How? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Read through the book of Acts time and time again. I mean, Acts 3, it's clear the disciples understood the power that they had to heal was not something from them. It came from Jesus. It was faith in his name and the empowerment that came from the Holy Spirit. In fact, the reason that Jesus could say that crazy, audacious claim in John 14, that we do the same things even greater, is because he also said, I am going to the Father, so it won't all rely on me anymore. I'm going to ask the Father to pour out the Spirit the same spirit that was on him and empowered him to heal so that we could do the very same things. The Holy Spirit is the power of God and it's the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus that empowers us to pray for the sick. But the second key element is faith. And faith, I would put it to you, is the way that we connect with the power of God so that we can see that compassion turned into healing power. Read the Gospels, read Acts, Again and again, faith is present. I would put it to you actually in every account. In most, it's explicitly mentioned. And even when it's not mentioned, it's demonstrated through actions that people took, steps of faith they took. And faith is not an abstract thing. It's not just this weird like feeling or an emotion or something like that. And, and God's just waiting for us to feel and our emotions kind of get to this tipping point and then he'll answer prayer. Faith is not like that. Faith always has an object. It's always faith in something in an idea or in a cause or in a person. And when it comes to having faith for healing, it is faith not in a technique, not in ourselves, not in the power of prayer even. It's faith in Jesus and in his ability and his willingness and power to heal. When Je Je Jesus promises in John 14, we'll do the same works he did. He said, the qualification is this, I tell you, whoever believes in me or has faith in me, will do the same things I've been doing. Faith and the power of God are the two ingredients that come hand in hand, linked with compassion to bring about healing. The way I think of it is like this. Um, this is my car keys. Um, like these are essential for me to drive. I need these keys to start my car. But clearly, simply owning these keys does not start my car. In fact, just having bigger keys doesn't start my car. In fact, it would be annoying because I wouldn't get it in the lock. Like The size of my keys and even owning the keys doesn't help me in any way. Tapping the keys on my bonnet doesn't help. Leaving them on my dashboard doesn't help. I'm not very technical, but even I know that you need something more to start a car. If I'm going to get the car started, I need to take these keys and I need to put them in the ignition and start the motor, right? But even then, it's the engine, it's the ignition, it's those bits that I don't really understand under the bonnet. They're the bit that get the car going, but they're in my car right now and my car isn't going. See, the car, the engine needs to be connected with the key in order to get going. That, I think, is how faith and power work. 
Our faith is like the key. The power of God is the engine. The power of God is the thing that gets things moving. In prayer, we bring our faith and we connect it, not with trust in a technique or a five-step prayer model or a lanyard or anything like that, but with Jesus Christ. And when we connect our faith into his power, that's what gets healing going. Now, when we read the Gospels, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to faith. Who has to have it, how it works, how it gets demonstrated. In fact, we see completely different approaches in many of the stories. Sometimes the people who have faith for healing are the people who actually come to him needing the healing. And there are various times, uh, next slide, where Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And there are plenty of examples of that, even in the book of Acts as well. On other occasions, we get the sense that the person needing prayer has no faith at all. Great example, Lazarus. He's dead. He's not there going, I really hope someone comes and gets me out of this grave. Like He has no faith. If any healing happened at that moment, it was because of Jesus' faith. And then there are other crazy stories where a friend comes and says, my mate's sick, and Jesus says, on the basis of your faith, I'm going to heal that person. So I don't know how faith works. It's mysterious, but the presence of faith is a powerful way of connecting with the power of God. And I've experienced this various different ways, even in the last few months. Let me tell you a couple of stories. In July, I was uh, preaching. No, actually, I wasn't preaching that day. I was just in, in Comet Garden. And um, there was a guy there who, it was his first time. In fact, he's never been back since, um, though I've been in touch with him. Um, <laughs> I didn't scare him off. Like, he, he's from Edinburgh, and he, he doesn't live in London. But um, he was there, and I looked across the room, and immediately in my mind's eye, I had a picture of a bullet going through his shoulder there and coming straight out the other side and leaving a scar on either side. And I was like, that's really weird. So I kind of felt like maybe it was a prophetic picture, and I felt God gave me an encouragement for him. So I went over and I shared it to him, and he was like, that is so spot on in my life. I was like, oh, that's great. And he said, but the really crazy thing is, I literally have a scar there and coming out the other side. Not from a bullet. <laughs> I mean, Edinburgh is bad, but it's not that bad. Like, he said he had had a, an injury, a rugby injury a year previously, had had keyhole surgery, and he couldn't lift his arm above there. And he showed me, and he was like tensing, and he just couldn't get his arm above there. So I was like, oh, well, should we pray about that? And so I put my hand on his shoulder, and immediately I just felt this twitching like happening in his shoulder, and he felt it as well. And then he was like, this is weird. My, my arm is tingling, like Chloe said. I don't think it was just that my hands felt nice. <laughs> the guy, like, something was happening. And so we started praying, and then I said, try it. And he just went like that, <laughs> like straight away. He hadn't been able to do that for a year, and he put his arm straight up. I was like, wow, this is incredible. I really hope this lasts. <laughs> and so the next day, I texted him. I said, like, how are you doing? He sent me this picture of him in the gym, and he said, got under the barbell tonight, still sore, but incredible improvement. Praise God, not at the point of bearing any weight, but still a sign of things to come. And he and I have texted since, and he's just been growing in strength. He's back doing rugby training, fool. <laughs> and, uh, and, and actually, equally, the things that I had prophesied about have all started to take place in his life, and he is growing in strength week by week. Now, in that instance, I had real faith. Particularly when I heard, oh, wow, you actually do have scars there. It wasn't just a, a metaphor. Like, that made me pray with faith. And then when he's like, I'm feeling something, again, that made me pray with faith. Not faith in tingling, but faith in God, because I sensed that God was doing something. And again, I'm not claiming that it was my faith that healed him. I'm just saying that I could pray there in a way that I don't always have faith for. But there are other instances where God does it a different way. Literally two weeks before, I had been in Bethnal Green with the prayer team, and there were eight of us sitting in a room. And towards the end of our time, I suddenly just had a picture in my mind of someone with a really sore left knee. And I thought I knew who it was, actually. So I said, uh, is there anyone here with 
a left knee problem. Is it you, David, to this guy? And he went, yeah, I do have a left knee pain. So I was like, great, God's speaking about this. Let's pray for you. So we all gathered around and I prayed for the guy and nothing happened. <laughs> and it was really irritating because I was like, God, like why? I felt like you told me that that was going to happen. And I prayed in faith. Why didn't it happen? And he got up and he's like, oh, no, it's still painful. I'll see how it goes. And I went back to worship. And I was like, what was that about, God? That was really annoying. And I got to the end of worship. And uh, a lady who had also been in the room, a lady called Cindy, came up to me. And this is what she said. And, and this is her own words, which she texted me later. She said, I strained my knee from sports and was having pain in the outer left knee for a couple of months. It would hurt whenever I walked or exerted weight on it. In pre-service prayer, Liam asked if any of us had pain in the knee. He looked towards David as he asked. David said yes, so we prayed for David. But I placed my hands over my knee and prayed for us. As we prayed, I knew in my heart, without having to stand and test it, that my knee was healed. And of course, as we ended the prayer session and got up to leave, the pain was no more. Like, that is amazing. I didn't pray for Cindy. Cindy, by faith, stole David's healing. <laughs> and poor David has been in agony. <laughs> no, no. David then came up to me and said, the crazy things happened. Like, since worship, all the pain's gone. So he got healed as well. Like, faith is incredible. I don't know. There's no formula. I don't know how it works. But what I know is that faith is a powerful way of connecting with the power of God and the compassion of God to release healing. And you may feel you have very little faith. Or you may feel you have a mixture of a tiny amount of faith and a huge amount of doubt. If that is the case, I get that. I feel that. I feel that regularly. Sometimes I feel like I know this is going to happen. More often I'm like, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I know it's God's ultimate will, so I'm going to assume it's God's will now. But who knows? <laughs> However you're feeling, still come to God and ask for him to intervene. Because firstly, even if you feel like you've got a tiny amount of prayer, that's why we do it together. That's why friends go to Jesus on your behalf. And Jesus says, on the basis of your faith, I'm going to heal that person. So I want to stand with you. And if you feel like you've got very little faith, maybe I have a bit more. Maybe the prayer team have a bit more. Like, we can stand together in this. But also, as I close, in Mark 9, there's this story I love where a father brings his son to Jesus who has this long-term illness. And the disciples have already prayed for the boy and were unable to heal him. So the father says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus heals the boy. Jesus didn't say, go away and come back when you've got more faith. He heals him. Imagine what that did for the guy's faith. And sometimes, honestly, the best prayer I can muster is, I have a bit of faith. <laughs> I do believe, help me with my unbelief. And I think God honors that prayer. And so if that's you today, then when we come to prayer in a minute, like bring that little bit of faith and that big bit of doubt. Stand with someone else and together we will pray and bring you before God. Maybe the band can come back up. And this is where it gets scary or exciting uh, or a mixture of both. That's what I'm feeling right now. Because <laughs> um, we're going to invite Jesus to come and do what he told us he would do. So I wonder if you'll stand and... Um, and we're going to worship. And the reason why we worship is not just because music is a nice little break before we pray, but because actually as you worship, you fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the king. He's the one who brings his power to heal. And I can't, well, I don't have time to tell you stories, but I've been in plenty of settings where people have in worship experienced Jesus and been like that woman touching the cloak and they're healed without anyone praying. And if that happens to you today, that's great because that makes my job a lot easier. So like engage with God in faith.
And if you're here today and you're thinking, actually, I don't need physical healing today or emotional or spiritual healing, still engage with God in faith because this is a moment where he can fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. And then in a moment, I'm going to get us all praying for one another. I'm not going to do it all. You're going to do some work as well. But let's fix our eyes on him. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. May your kingdom come. Your will be done right here, right now.